is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus. All right, what's up, you do? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And tonight, I actually want to do a teaching called uh, Worship, War, and the Word. Worship, War, and the Word. Now, I believe personally that there are um, lots of ways that God has always reached his people, the things that the Lord has done for his people. And I think that God doesn't expect anything less from his bride. I believe in many ways, the thing that was used to allow God to work with us was worship, war, and the word. I believe as Christians, these are our point of attacks. And, you know, there were even three angels in the Bible that were ever mentioned that filled all of these areas. Okay. These three areas. So I know that, you know, this is what the Lord wants for his bride. He wants us to be able to know how to worship and understanding what the importance of worship is. And then to understand what war is, because, you know, war itself is something that a lot of Christians have strayed away from, because many of us believe that if we are to war, then we're not being very Christian. But you know what? Nothing can be further from the truth. The truth of the matter is, is that we are birthed on a battlefield. You know, all that we do in this life and everything comes up to one place that we're birthed on a battlefield between God and the devil. And, you know, that's just the hand we were dealt. That's just something that we deal with. And that's something that we're going to be going to have to be able to endure. So tonight, that's what we're going to be talking about. The worship, the war and the word. And we're also going to examine three angels in the Bible that filled these areas and what their role was and the things that they did and how important these things are to us is what we're going to discuss. So it should be a good teaching tonight. It should be something that I think we're going to learn a lot from and gain some understanding. But unless we worship and unless we learn to war and unless we stick with God's word, You and I don't have a snowball's chance in hell, but this is what's commanded of the bride of Christ, of the body of Christ. And we're going to talk about the importance of each one. And if we learn how to do these things and walk with the Lord and do the things that the Lord says, we will be very fruitful in his kingdom. Okay. So as we get into this lesson, let's pray. And I want to get right into the word because we got a lot to cover tonight. I'm sorry for being late, but you know, things happen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for another day, another day not promised to us. And we just ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters that we have yet another day to be partakers of your word to be edified by your spirit, Lord, that we may choose life and not death. 
And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, don't let any man's heart be heard tonight. Please, Lord, let no flesh be glorified, for we don't glory in the flesh nor place confidence in the flesh, but all, the, all of the confidence will be placed in, Lord, you, Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, that you send the comforter, that you send the Holy Ghost, that he may teach and edify your people, that he may bring us into all truth and righteousness. So we invite the Holy Ghost and his presence, that he may speak to the people of God, that they may get understanding as to what they need, that they may survive in this war. And Lord, we just ask in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, every Ahab spirit, every Jezebel spirit, every Antichrist spirit, every peacefully coexisting spirit with the devil. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind them, that you take compromise, that you get rid of tolerance, that your people will roll up their sleeves, Lord, and get ready for the battle, because this is one that we're born into. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So tonight what we're gonna be talking about is the importance of worship, war, and the word. Now you know that worship itself draws God closest to us and it draws us closer to God. The Bible tells us if we draw near to God, he will draw near unto us. Jesus says in John 14 that if we be in the Father and the Father in us, I mean, you know, uh, he, the Father, he and the Father will make their abode in us. And how will they do that? With the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And you see, that's why it's important that we become one with God. We're gonna look at examples tonight of what praise and worship was able to do with the people of God, how they were able to claim victory, how they were able to overcome the devil. A lot of people look at um, you know, worship as just a church thing or it's a thing you do when you feel good. But I'm here to tell you that worship is a weapon of war. And that's what we're gonna be talking about. And later on, uh, I'm gonna read an article to you guys concerning more weapons than these. But I want to talk about these three specific ones because you're gonna see them played out many times in the Bible. These were used of God to have God's will done. So let's look at the first one. The first one is worship, okay? So let's go to Ezekiel 28, and we're going to examine one of the angels of God. Even though he fell from that, even though he didn't do what he was supposed to, of course, you know, there are more angels in heaven that are continuing to do the things that God wants. This is not angel worship. And I heard that this is, um, there's some movement on Facebook about the war, the word and the worship and all that. I'm not associated with them, okay? I'm only going with the revelation that the Lord has given me, okay? But I do wanna look at these three angels. The first one is Lucifer. Lucifer was a worship leader in heaven. We're gonna discuss that right now in Ezekiel 28. We recognize that Michael, who was the other angel mentioned in the Bible, he was the angel of war. And then when you look at Gabriel in the Bible, Gabriel always came with a word. So it's kind of funny how those three W's are thrown in there, the war, the worship, and the word. I think when Lucifer fell, God's intent 
is to eventually have a bride. I mean, is to have a bride and that we were supposed to replace Lucifer. There's a lot of things that Lucifer did that the church is called to do today. Like the one, Lucifer means light bearer. We are called to bear light on Jesus Christ. That's why he called us the lights of the world so that we can go to other people and show them Jesus Christ, who is the true light of the world. You know, we are called to praise and worship and we're going to see the importance of these things, okay? So let's begin. I wanna go to Ezekiel 28 and let's look at verse 11. Ezekiel 28 and verse 11, look at what it says. He says, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. So what we understand about Lucifer, he was in the garden of God even before, okay, um, Adam and Eve were. But it made clear here that he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. When it says that he sealed up the sum, it was speaking of him being complete, okay, and God, that he had all of these attributes, that he was pretty much considered the perfect angel. You know, he was God's creation. So it says every precious stone was his covering, the sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabernacles and thy pipes, was prepared in thee the day that thou was created. So not only did Lucifer or Satan himself have all these precious stones on him, hey, Sister Tara, you know, although he had all these precious stones on him, he also had tabrets and pipes. So if you understand that, tabrets are kind of like tambourines and pipes are kind of like either, you know, woodwind or brass instruments where you, you know, you blow through when you play, you know, uh, music. So he was created to have pipes and tabrets in him. So that tells you that he was like a musical instrument. He was meant to glorify God and to give God praise. Look at verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so, thou was upon the holy mountain of God, Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So as you can see, Lucifer was that angel in heaven that God loved. God called him the anointed cherub. Okay, so I personally believe, I don't have proof of this, but from what I'm reading here about how special the devil was in God's eyes is, I believe right after Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, he was probably, you know, that angel in heaven that was over all the other angels. And why do I say this? Because it says that he covereth. That word for covering means he was a governing cherub. He protected the throne of God, okay? So he had a special position with the Lord. And it says iniquity was found in, he, in him and it turned him away from God. Look at verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as a profane thing 
I mean, uh, cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So as you can see, the devil had a few flaws here, or Lucifer did. One, he was trafficking and selling himself in the kingdom of heaven, you know, I guess speaking or slandering against God. And then it says he was a profane thing. So the word profane comes from, I mean, we get the word profanity from the word profane, and it means that which makes a temple dirty. Okay, so this is what he was about. This is what he was doing. And then it says, um, you know, he would be cast away from God. It said his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. What is that? That's pride. And then it says, thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground and lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. By the iniquity of thy traffic, there's his slander. Therefore, I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. You know, I personally believe because of Lucifer and all the things that he did, that God had to really lay down some laws, you know, and, and when God speaks about all the things that he hates in this Bible, including every type of sin you can think of, you best believe Lucifer did it, okay? The first sin that he committed was pride. He was very proud. It wasn't good enough that he glorified God with, the, with his vessel covered in jewels and able to praise and you know sing and do all these things before the Lord. He wanted to be his own God. Now you see true worship, proper worship, the type of worship that God wants wouldn't have you and I doing this. The other important thing about worship concerning a Christian is it humbles you. It takes the emphasis off of you and it places it on its rightful owner who is God. There is no one that is worthy of any worship outside of God. God deserves all the praise, all the worship, all the glory and all the honor. This is what God, this is what he deserves. So that's why we're gonna talk about the importance of worship because you see for this angel, it wasn't good enough that he worshiped God. He wanted to be more than that. He wanted to be bigger than that. So there came a point where his worship was probably no good. You know, it was, I mean, it, it became no good because he began to glory in self. And you see this all the time in churches. Instead of people worshiping and praising God and giving God what he deserves, you got people up there singing solos, trying to sound like Whitney Houston, and you know they're putting in all the theatrics and all this other foolishness, but their heart is not towards God. I remember a pastor said one time that he told a woman, um, uh, the, the woman that she sang a great song for the Lord, and the woman told him, well, I don't think that my performance was that great. And he said, you know, when do we get to the place of performing for God? We're supposed to be worshiping from the heart. So you see, only true worship is the worship that God accepts. Even with me, if I'm up here trying to impress people and I'm up here just teaching just to be heard and you know trying to gain a following, then my heart is not right with God. I may as well take what's being done right now and throw it in the trash. 
This is all about the proper praise and worship that God deserves. Everything that I do, I want no credit for. I, the glory belongs to the Lord. If there's any edification or any, you know, uh, a building up of God's church from this message, and that's any other message, God deserves a glory. I'm just a clay jar, unworthy to preach the gospel before the before anybody. But it's the grace of God that gives me His Spirit that speaks to me what he wants to be done. And there is no glory for self. There is no confidence in the flesh, but it took time to develop that because I remember a time in my life where I thought, man, you know, I'm live, so I gotta have it together and have it right. You know what? That's foolishness because if it doesn't go to God, it's the glory in self. So you see a lot of people have fallen the same way that Lucifer have because they gloried in the things that God gave them. That's why God is slow to give us things sometimes, because he knows that we can get lifted up in pride. The answer to that is everyone must be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ to give proper praise, because you know what? Jesus praised his father with a full heart. If you and I get full of Christ and we die out to self, we'll be able to do the same thing. So it is only Jesus Christ who can praise properly, which is why we need to be full of him and his spirit to be able to give the Father the glory that he deserves. So let's get into worship, okay? Let's start with a psalm. Let's go to Psalm uh, chapter 99 or Psalm 99. And let's begin in verse one as we go through this. But man, there are so many days where I feel like I'm just not doing well and you know, you feel down, you don't feel like doing certain things. Man, you throw in some praise and worship music, you're all right. It's almost like the Lord gets you right back where you need to be in line with him. Praise ye the Lord. So let's look at uh, Psalm 99, look at verse one. It says, the Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. So that ought to tell you where cherubims sit. Now, Lucifer would have been one of these angels at one point before his fall. The Lord sits between the cherubims. They are, I guess, guardians of the throne or they carry the throne and move it around just like um, Ezekiel chapter one says. Look at verse two. The Lord is great in Zion and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name for it is holy. When it says terrible, it means full of awe. It doesn't mean that he's a terrible God. But it says, let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Uh, thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. You know, one of the amazing things that you see when you read um, Isaiah chapter two, uh, six, when it talks about the cherubims go around the Lord or the seraphim day and night, talking about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, and which is to come. You see, that's proper praise because they love the Lord. If you even look at David and his Psalm right here, David's giving proper praise. You can tell by reading the Psalms, you can compare our hearts to David's. David loved the Lord. David truly loved the Lord. 
when you look at these Psalms, you and I couldn't even write one of these the way that he does, unless we draw closer to God, but we have that revelation in the spirit. Look at verse six, Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spake unto them in a cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord, our God. Thou was a God that forgavest them, thou, uh, though thou tookest vengeance in, of their inventions. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord, our God, is holy. And you're only going to worship the Lord with the spirit. That's why the Bible tells us in uh, John chapter four, verses 24, that our God is a spirit and them that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When we worship and praise, it's not to perform for others. We've got to know where is your heart? Is your heart right with God or are you just doing this for attention? Those are things that need to be worked out if we're gonna give the Lord his praise. So we're gonna get an example of how praise itself is definitely a weapon of the Lord. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When you got the devil throwing his fiery darts at you and he's just trying to beat you down, you gotta know that that's an attack and you've got to give the Lord his praise, that proper praise that he wants for his people. He wants his people to give him. 2 Chronicles 20, let's look at verse one. It says, and it came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other besides the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat saying, there cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side of Syria. And behold, they be in Hazasan Tamar, and then it says, um, which is uh, in, in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all uh, Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God, of our fathers, art not thou God of in heaven, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen, and in thine hand and uh, is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? So what Jehoshaphat knew, they were being surrounded by the armies here of the Ammonites and Moabites, which were the seed of Lot. That's where the, the people that came from his two daughters. Okay, but the point is, is that uh, Jehoshaphat is saying, hey, we're surrounded by armies here. Lord, I mean, you know, don't you have the power to deal with this? Because right now it looks like we're going to be crushed. Look at verse seven. Are not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people, Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, 
If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence for thy name is in the house, is in this house and cry unto thee in our affliction, uh, then thou will hear and help. And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, uh, that's the you know Edomites, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say how they reward us to come and cast us out of thy possession, uh, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company uh, that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood, stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. So this has to be like a hopeless situation where they're all standing there. You got three armies that are waiting to come against the children of Israel. Jehoshaphat is pouring out his heart, Lord, how could this happen? How could we be asked to move from a land that, that you inherited, that you, that you gave us to inherit? How can we be moved and how can this come upon us? So he's asking the Lord these questions because there's wives, there's little ones and children there. Lord, what are we gonna do? This is a hopeless situation. Look at verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jehiel, or Jehiel, uh, the son of Matanahiah, uh, Matanahiah, uh, the Levite, and the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And this gives new, this is giving more emphasis on when the Lord says that the Lord will fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Jehoshaphat knew that the Lord had his aid because he said, Lord, we worship and we're in this house that belongs to your name. If you and I are in good standing with God, he's gonna come to comfort us the same way. We've all had an experience like this. We've all found ourselves in a place of, Lord, I got more bills than money. I don't know what to do. I don't know what they're gonna do to me. If I'm gonna have a job tomorrow, what's gonna happen in my family, what's gonna go on with my children. These are all things that we experience and we go through. But the Lord said, the battle is not yours, the battle is his. Because you see, if you stand for God, God will stand for you that your enemies will become his enemies if you walk with him. Look at verse 16. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And then he says in verse 17, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And you see, those are the beautiful things because you had a king 
who went before the people with a broken and contrite heart. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 51 that a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. Okay, look at verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. So you had one king that bowed his head down, and then you have the rest of the people bowing themselves down to worship the Lord. They heard the word of the Lord, and they're giving him praise, even in a time where all this chaos is going on, that they're about to be crushed. Look at verse 19, and the Levites of the children of the Kohathites uh, and uh, the children of the Korhites uh, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established, believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. So not only did he obey the Lord and believe it and go out there, but he proclaimed it like he knew the Lord was going to show up. Look at verse 21, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty and of holiness uh, as they went out before the army, and to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 22 says, and when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments or ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. So look at that. They praised the Lord, and the Lord had ambushes set up where these men were smitten. Could they have been angels of the Lord? Could they have just been struck dead? Who knows? But the bottom line is, they praised the Lord and they worshiped him. And that's what worship does for people. Look at verse 22, uh, verse 23. And the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy other. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth and none escaped. So you see, this is the importance of worship. When you draw near to God, you allow God to do what he needs to do. Worship is letting the Lord know, I'm not worthy. Lord, all the praise goes to you. You deserve all the glory. Whatever I'm going through, you will handle. That's not just faith, that's a type of praise when you rest your problems on the Lord, because he is an ever-present help in our time of need, our God will come through. So this is just an example of worship. He brought singers out there just to praise the Lord. And as you see, the devil's forces couldn't take it. They ended up all being smitten and struck dead. Guys, this even works when you and I are being oppressed by the devil. One thing the devil cannot stand is praise and worship to a, to a mighty and holy God. He hates it and it drives him off. And I'm going to prove this. Let's go to um, Isaiah 61, just to make another point on this worship. 
See, Jesus Christ is the crown jewel. We've got to know that because outside of that, we're going to be thinking that our problems are too big for the Lord. So this is a prophecy of Isaiah that was speaking of the coming of Jesus Christ that Jesus fulfilled in Luke um, uh, 4 and 18. But I want to make the point here. It says in verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. So as you can see, what Jesus Christ came to do, this was the fulfillment of all that we need to rest in. Look at all Jesus can do. Look at how he can preach good tidings. He, we preach the gospel. He's anointed to come unto the meek and to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to those that are captive. Those who are captive are not just people that are in jail. You can be captive to your feelings. You can be captive to you know, this world. You can be captive to demonic oppression. And Jesus Christ came to, to do away with all of that if we put our trust in him. Look at verse three. And look at what it says. Look at verse two again, comparing um, what we read in Second Chronicles. It says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So you see, the Bible tells us to fret not over evildoers, for they will wither away like the green herb. We just got to stay humble and meek before the Lord, because the Bible tells us the meek shall inherit the earth. Look at verse three. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy, that's the Holy Ghost. And then it says for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they might be glorified. So what did he tell us to do? to put on the garment of praise, to do what? To deal with the spirit of heaviness or a spirit of oppression. So as you can see, praise it, praise to God is what takes away that feeling of depression or heaviness or oppression. He says to put on that garment. That means to give all things to Jesus Christ. That means to be in the spirit so that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh that we may walk with God. When the devil is lying to you, telling you no one will love you, no one will marry you, you'll never be anything. God won't even want you after all the sins you committed. You've got to put on that garment of praise and call the devil a liar and stand with Jesus Christ and the devil will flee. The Bible tells us if we resist him, he will flee from us, but we must put on that garment of praise. This is the importance of praise in a Christian's life. Look at uh, look at Acts sixteen. Let's go to Acts chapter sixteen. And we're going to begin at verse sixteen. But you guys remember, even in Jericho, remember what happened in Jericho. Remember when they couldn't get to that impenetrable fortress, and all those things were going on. What happened? You know, the Lord told them go around there seven days 
And, you know, with their trumpets, get ready. They marched around there for seven days, praising the Lord. And what did he do? When they shouted with praise, that great wall fell down and their enemies all fled and scattered. So as you can see, praise breaks down strongholds. You know, that garment of praise. Let's look at uh, Acts 16. Let's look at verse one. I mean, verse 16, sorry. And it came to pass as they went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, uh, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So that's something that they did. They brought their masters gain, this woman, by soothsaying. This woman uh, was able to tell fortunes. That spirit of divination or divination, it's a python spirit. This is where you get all these oracles in the new age that try and um, read fortunes or fortune tellers. You see, this is all demonic. Look at verse 17. The same followed Paul and us and cried saying, these men are the servants of the most high God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. Now, was this woman lying? No, she was telling the truth. And this did she many days. But Paul being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that same hour. So as you know, it was a demon that was telling fortunes. Some people would say, why did Paul come against this spirit? He came against this spirit because this spirit was seeking praise of its own. This spirit wasn't telling people what was righteous for the sake of you know them following the Lord. That spirit wanted to get praise by itself because you see her masters gave her money. Well, we'll get into that, but this woman was praised. So that spirit that was in that woman was trying to get those people to say, oh man, we should follow her. What else have you got for me? Wow, you seem to know everything. But Paul knew that it was a spirit of divination and he cast it out because she wasn't necessary. Okay, so anyway, look at verse 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. So when this woman could no longer tell fortunes and help her masters get money, they cast Paul and Silas into the, um, you know, into prison and laid many stripes upon them because they spoke against it and they cast a demon out of that woman. So anyway, it says, um, look at verse 24, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So not only were they thrown into prison, they were put in the inner prison. They were put in a place most confounded that, man, you, you definitely can't get out of here. And their feet were fast with stocks, okay? Like, you know, you ever seen feet through bars or shackles or wood? That's what they pretty much had their feet in. So once again, this looks like a hopeless situation. Look at verse 25. And at midnight, notice how the Lord always shows up at midnight. Number 12 is kind of like a number for God's government. 
He had 12 apostles, 12 disciples, 12 months in a year, 12 parts day, 12 parts night. You know, our Lord is just, you know, he makes his presence. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. So can you imagine having many stripes laid upon your back? This is how the devil has you and I from time to time. This is how demons oppress us from time to time. They beat us, you know, lay many stripes upon us. And then, you know, those stripes are not just physical things. These are all the lies that the devil can tell you to make you feel worthless. These are all the things that the enemy could do to you to beat you down, you know, with life and finances and marriage and lust and all other kinds of sins, you know, bad habits. But it says that they're singing praises to the Lord regardless of how hopeless this situation is. And all the, and the men in the prison heard them, the other prisoners. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. So as you can see, praise and worship binds the devil. Praise and worship sets your soul and spirit free to be with God. If we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at verse 27, and the keeper of the prison awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. So you see how the devil thinks that he's got you bound, but now this man is bound in a hopeless situation. But Paul's about to give him the gospel and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord uh, and to all that were in, the, in his house. And he took them the same hour and uh, the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. So as you can see, the praise came first. And like I said, praise itself is a type of weapon of war. Notice how the praise went first. And that was a warfare that they were all bound and broken free. And then Paul was able to give them the word. You're gonna see many things go in this sequence. How you get worship, you got war, and then you've got word. It's important that we understand that. So hopefully you guys have an understanding of the importance of prayer. Prayer sets your soul and spirit free. Prayer places you, I mean, not prayer, sorry, praise. Praise puts you, well, prayer does too, but praise puts you in the spirit with God that you give him the praise and glory, regardless of your circumstances. And what will the spirit of God do? Set you free from oppression. That's why the Lord came. That's why he was anointed. That's why he tells us that the anointing breaks every yoke of the enemy. And that's why it's important that we worship God. Not only because he's due and worthy of it, but because of the fact that it's a weapon of war. So now we're gonna move over to war. Now you remember the first angel was Lucifer. Lucifer was a praise and worshiper of the Lord. He fell since then. He's been replaced with the church. We are called to worship. Now we're gonna go into war and we're gonna talk about the second angel 
which is Michael, that God used in particular situations to have a need done. You know what's funny about the name Michael? It means who is like God, you know? Like in other words, in awe of him, or Michael himself is very much like the Lord. So you see, a lot of us think that our God is not, you know, he doesn't war and he doesn't want us to war. He just wants us to be passive. Nothing could be further from the truth. God wants us to be able to war so that we can do what the Lord says. How do we bind the devil? How do we set captives free? We've got to war to break down these strongholds in Jesus' name. So let's look at Daniel chapter 10. Matter of fact, before we go there, let's go to Jude 1. Let's go to Jude 1. Sorry, all the way at the back of your Bible. And let's look at verse 13. Okay, and it says, um, actually, where am I? I actually went too far. Let's go to, um, uh, let's see, look at verse nine. So this is Jude one, and let's look at verse nine. It says, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. So as you can see, Michael himself did not overstep his bounds. Michael sought the Lord. And this is how we war properly. We don't go into places where we think we're, you know, Mr. Tough Guy, that I can go here and do whatever. You must seek the Lord. Now this happened to a brother, and I can call him a friend, you know, I need to call him more. But, you know, brother Henry Groover, he actually talked about that he went up to the Serpent Mound in Ohio and he went to try and bind the devil. Now he's been taking over strongholds in the spirit all that all that week or however long he was doing it. But he went up to the Serpent Mound in Ohio and he said he was gonna take that area. So he began rebuking and you know binding the devil and doing whatever. And Henry tells the story that, he, that a, um, a force came and hit him in his chest, knocked him to the ground, had him in a fetal position. I mean, he could not move. He was in the fetal position for hours. It was during a cold day, during the winter, there was snow and everything out there, and Henry couldn't move. And he said, I can't believe this. I'm gonna freeze to death. He said, I can't believe it. They're gonna find me frozen. So the Lord spoke to Henry while he was in that position, and he said, Henry, I didn't call you to come to this place. You haven't been fasting enough. You've been, you know, casting out devils and tearing down strongholds. You haven't fasted enough in the spirit to be strong enough to take this stronghold. And Henry got back to his van and he learned his lesson from there. He eventually did come back and bind that area when he got full of the spirit. But as you can see, when we war, we've got to rely on the Lord to war, war we can't go in our own strength, okay? Because if God didn't permit it, he doesn't want you to do it. Just because there's a need doesn't, doesn't mean that you're called to do it, okay? You have to be receive proper instruction from the Lord to know when to war and how to war. Because there's sometimes the Lord will tell you be silent because the devil may be trying to bait you. So you've got to wait on the instruction from the Lord to have the Lord do these things for us. That's just so important. 
So, you know, the, uh, he was contending with the devil for the body of Moses. And he said, the Lord rebuked him. Now, you know that Michael himself got the body back because it says, I believe it's in Deuteronomy 25 or 34. I think it's 34 when the Bible says the Lord himself buried Moses. So, you know, uh, he got the body. One would have to ask the question, why was Lucifer so concerned with the body of Moses? And, you know, I personally believe he wanted to use that body as a, as a thing of worship. You see, the devil did know our Messiah was coming, but he didn't know when. But one thing the devil wanted to do was to get everybody fixated on Moses. He wanted everybody to worship the body of Moses so that they could forget all about the Lord. He was gonna turn that into a shrine. He was gonna work it out in such a way that people would look on Moses and worship him and not God. So God sent Michael, which was one of his angels, to do battle with the devil, not relying on his own strength, but on the Lord to do what? To get the body of Moses. Look at Daniel chapter 10. Let's go to Daniel chapter 10. All right. Daniel 10, now you guys know that this was a time when Daniel was fasting and praying because he wanted answers for the people of God or for his people while they were in captivity. You guys are starting to see something here. When there is captivity, it's always that God's true people, they buckle down and they seek the face of God for answers. So as you can tell, fasting and prayer itself is a type of warfare. But right now we're focusing on Michael. So it says, uh, while he was fasting and praying, uh, let's, let's start at verse one. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true, uh, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks, so 21 days, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four, in the four and 20th day uh, of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, that's the Tigris River, then I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphes. His body also was like the barrel and his face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire and his arms and his feet like the color to polish brass and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me uh, unto corruption and I retained no strength. Yet I heard a voice of his words and I heard the voice of his words. Then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. So while Daniel was praying and fasting, 
there was an angel of the Lord that came through and came to see Daniel and to um, speak to him. I can't call this Gabriel because the Bible never says it. I know that Gabriel was in Daniel 9 and Gabriel was in Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, but you know, this doesn't say that it was uh, Gabriel. So it says, and behold, the hand touched me and set me on, on my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. And then he said uh, unto me, fear not Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. So from the first day that Daniel began to fast, God sent an angel to come and answer Daniel's prayer. But it made clear that Daniel was a man greatly beloved of God. If we get into God, God will answer your prayer. And when you got prayers with no answers, you know, it may not be because you're praying for the wrong thing. You could actually be praying for the right thing. We're gonna find out what happened here. Look at verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So as you can see, while this angel was trying to fight and break through, the prince of Persia up in the heavenly realm, which was another angel, was warring with the angel of God, trying to stop him from delivering a message to Daniel. So what did God do? God sent Michael, okay? Michael is the archangel. But Michael, it also made clear here, is one of the chief angels. So that doesn't mean that he's ruler over all angels. It says he's one of the chiefs. I'm just bringing that out there because a lot of people want to tell you that Michael was Jesus, which is nonsense, okay? The Bible doesn't even say that. So anyway, so look at uh, verse 14. And I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people and in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. So you see, while a lot of Christians don't think that they should be warring for Christ, it's really crazy to think about because there's war going on all around us. While I'm here speaking right now, there's war you know, going on around me from my mind. The Lord may be trying to tell me one thing and you got the enemy trying to come in to cause distractions and just take it away even for people who tune in and tune out. That'd be spiritual warfare as well, because a lot of people will get distracted and taken away. So where a Christian believes that he doesn't have the war is ridiculous because it made clear that every time there was war or a dispute, God sent Michael the archangel. If you read Revelation 12 in your spare time, it makes clear, okay, that he came um, to cast the devil down. All right, that war I believe is gonna come where Satan's gonna make one last attempt for the heavenlies to try and fight against the kingdom of God. And it makes clear that Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels and they were thrown down. So if there is war in heaven, there will be war in earth. Just like it says in Matthew 16 and 19, that which is bound on, her, on earth will be bound in heaven. That which is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
He said that he gave them the keys of the kingdom. That is God's authority in the Holy Ghost. Luke 10 and 19 says that I have given you, that's perfect tense, power to tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But the question is not whether or not we should war. The question is, do you believe God? Because if you believe God, we need to war. But in order to war, you've got to understand the weapons and what God is trying to do. So let's go to Ephesians chapter six and let's begin at verse 10. As we talk about worship, war, and the word. Sometimes, man, you know, you got a war in your prayers. When you're sleepy and you're sitting there trying to pray and your eyes are heavy and you feel like you can't go on, man, you've got to bind the devil to continue praying. You've got to cast that spirit of slumber or heaviness away from you. Because you see, Jesus said that the spirit is willing, but it's the flesh that's weak. You've got to war against your own flesh. That's what fasting is for. That's what praise and prayer are for. Because if you don't subdue this flesh, you give the devil a stronghold to operate in and you'll be indulging in self and not concerned with the things of the kingdom of God. So look at Ephesians 6, look at verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice he says, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, not in your abilities. And he says, in the power of his might, just like Michael did, just like Jehoshaphat did when they were surrounded by the Ammonites and the Moabites. This is putting your trust in God to do what God says. He says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, I was talking to uh, Pastor Price tonight and he was talking about the wiles of the devil, how we think that we've got so much going on in ourselves. We think that you know, we rule the devil and we stand on him and he doesn't have a chance. And the devil is killing you just simply through everyday life. Whatever it is, if you're attached to, if it's not God or it's not the spirit, it's the devil. So he's knocking us sideways, not even lifting a finger to do anything against us, you know, but just the fact of the things that we're hooked to is giving him the victories. So we need to wear the armor that we may be able to stand against the devil and his tricks. Because in this war, we have danger seen and unseen. You could be turning a corner, doing something, and you don't even know what's coming. We take a lot for granted down here about going to the store and getting some snacks. Or, you know, for those who are in sin, fornicating and doing whatever. You take a lot for granted down here that we're at war. People could be walking around with diseases just waiting to kill you. You can be in the wrong place at the wrong time. The Bible even describes our lives as a vapor, just like a bubble on water. But we take so much for granted down here. We need to wear that armor, which is Christ. He says in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That word for principalities is arcade. That's where we get the word archon, which is speaking of a magistrate or government. Now, you know that our government and the things that they do today don't stand for God. That's why they got all these laws that are against God. These are the same weapons of war that the enemy is using behind the scenes to influence 
the things that go against Christians. Pretty soon, we won't be able to read our Bibles. They're gonna throw us in jail for speaking about homosexuality. They're gonna do so many different things if you come up against abortion. So we better get ready as Christians to have ourselves ready because we're going to be spending some time away if we truly want a war and stand for Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. There is no enemy that can take you until your time is, but we've got to trust in God to get a job done for you. Because, you know, I've heard of stories of missionaries being sent to prison so that they can open up a ministry there and get people one to the Lord. You just read it in Acts 16. There was a man in there that got saved in his whole family because Paul and Silas praised the Lord. They could have said, Lord, this is it. I don't know what's gonna happen now. Oh God, what am I gonna do? But instead they praised the Lord because you know what they realized? He is good whether things are going good for me or whether they're bad. They could have taken that time to blaspheme God, but instead they praised him and he set them free. If we're gonna war for Christ as Christians, we have got to be selfless and desire the things that are of God. So, you know, and it says against powers, that's authorities, that word is exousia. So as you can see, you know, this is, these are areas that the devil will push things on us to, to have authority over you and I. Why do you think most bosses in this world and most politicians are not Christian? but they call themselves Christian, but they push their ungodly agendas. Then he says against the rulers of the darkness of this world. You know, that word for rulers is cosmocrater. That's a world ruler. That's who you got sitting over the pyramid today. That eye of Horus, the all seeing eye. These are the principalities and powers and rulers that we fight against. So we better get some armor on and then it says, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. That's the fallen angels and Satan himself. The other things are low level demons that operate in people and in the, and, you know, behind the scenes. But as you can see, this whole thing is sewn up full of demonic powers. This is what we fight against and this is what's ruling the world. And Christians still believe they're not at war. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So you see, we've got to be able to take the hits of the enemy and to keep moving. We've got to be able to sustain these blows and keep our footing because our foundation needs to be on Jesus Christ. This is what we war against. And if we're not aware of it and we don't put on that armor, we're going to be taking hits. God didn't give you armor to lay up on the beach. The armor is for war, okay? Look at verse um, 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So as you can see, how we live is the same thing Paul described about the armor of light. When the Bible says that God is light and in him is no darkness, if we're going to wage an effective warfare against the devil, we've got to have the truth and righteousness. We cannot compromise the gospel. We cannot have private lives behind the scene that nobody knows about. The truth has to be lived and righteousness has to become a part of our nature. And you're only gonna have that being in the spirit with God. Look at verse 15. 
and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Do you even know what you believe as a believer? You call yourself a believer, but do you believe in Jesus as the scriptures have said? This is how we wage an effective warfare. One thing Jehoshaphat knew, one thing Paul knew, one thing Daniel knew is that when I'm in trouble and when I'm bound up tight, I will seek God and God will get the victory this day. In order for us to be right with the Lord, we have to have our feet shod. We've got to believe the gospel of peace, that Jesus Christ is everything that we'll need. Because when we do, we have a nice solid foundation, which is Christ, that will keep you and I from slipping. When the rains descend and the floods came and the winds blow, they beat upon that house and it will not fall because it was founded on that rock. So we need to hold all things with the truth of the gospel and live by it to be effective in Christ. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith, wherewith you may be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Again, we talked about those lies. We talked about all these things that the enemy will try and tell you, make you worthless. You're worthless. Nobody will love you. You're ugly. You're stupid. You're this and that. You know, God won't want you after all the stuff that you've done. You've got to have that shield of faith up. We have to walk by faith and not by sight, going into a mission impossible, but believe in Jesus Christ every step of the way. Don't let your circumstances dictate what happens to you. You've got to put your trust in the living God so that you can repel the lies of the enemy. Wherewith you may be able to quench, and then he says in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. We did a teaching a couple of weeks ago called Stamp Eternity to Our Eyeballs. Lord, stamp eternity to them because we need to keep our minds heavenly minded. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Paul says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. If we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you keep salvation in mind and we have the mind of Christ, you are going to think as the Lord thinks. Romans 8 says that those that are in the flesh mind the things of the flesh. Those that are in the spirit, they mind the things of the spirit. So as you can see, we need the helmet of salvation to keep our minds protected and focused on the goal at hand, which is to be saved, stay saved, and to get to others that they may be saved. So then he says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the sword of the spirit, that word for word is word rhema. It means God's spoken word. It means getting real instruction of the Lord in real time. Yes, the Bible, the logos instructs us, the written word, but we've got to be able to hear from heaven when God instructs us not to do certain things. We gotta start praying for hearing hearts. We gotta start praying for hearts that are sensitive to the spirit. Why? So that you and I will know what decisions to make and how to hear the voice of God. And also to be able to proclaim what God tells you to. I remember when we used to go out, you know, to um, pray for the homeless and preach the gospel to them. We still do it. But, you know, I remember I used to do this at one point where I'm praying for the individual and talking to them about the Lord. 
And you could hear the spirit of God saying, you need to rebuke all the sin in his life if you're going to pray for him. I'm going to tell you what those sins are, and you need to proclaim them. But you see, if you're not sensitive to the voice of God or you find yourself not wanting to offend, they're already beat down. They're not doing enough. So I just want to pray blessings over a person. You see, you don't know how to war. You've got to obey that rhema word of God so that that sword may pierce. Now you get two reactions when this sword pierces. Sometimes you'll get the person pricked in their heart, willing to give their lives over to Christ and chase the demons away, or you're going to have people pricked in their hearts and desire to kill you. Either way, the, the, the um, sword of the spirit is meant to do one thing, and that is to penetrate what the devil does to break down his strongholds and his forces. The Bible tells us, though we, um, uh, though we, uh, we wrestled not, not that, uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every hard thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So we understand that we're supposed to be able to wield this sword at a moment's notice. We've got to wield it when the Lord tells us to. So I used to be somewhat you know, timid like that because I didn't wanna hurt the person. But now when I hear the rhema word and the Lord tells me what the sins of those people are and he tells me to proclaim them, then I am going to proclaim them. Why? Because that's how captives get set free. And that's how we war with the devil. It's not through might, it's not through our power, but by his spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So let's go to, uh, I wanna get to another place. Let's go to Ephesians six, I mean, not Ephesians. Let's go to Judges chapter three and let's look at verse one. Judges three and one, because people will often ask the question, why didn't God just take the children of Israel and just fly them over the giants, fly them into the land and just give them everything that they needed? We're gonna find out the answer right here. Look at Judges 3, look at verse one. Now, now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. So God left the enemies of Israel in that promised land and somewhat around the wilderness because he wanted to prove Israel through them. Even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. So you see a lot of Israel didn't know those wars and things that were going on. There were giant tribes that used to fight each other and kill one another and would kill any tribe that came into that area. Look at verse two. Only that the generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war. At the least, such as before, knew nothing thereof. So why did God allow them to go through the wilderness and have to go through those giants? He wanted to teach his people to war. God doesn't give us armor for no reason. God wants to teach you and I how to war. And he even gives us the nine gifts of the spirit. When we get into God, those nine fruit will bear nine gifts, which you will have discernment or the, the, the discerning of spirits. You'll be able to you know, have the working of miracles to heal the sick, to be able to cast off demons. These are things that God wants his people to have, okay? Because if we're Christians without weapons, then man, we're pretty much useless. 
We've got to ask God and desire these spiritual gifts and ask for this, that we may war. Why does the devil allow, why does God allow the devil to come and bother you? Why doesn't he just throw him in the lake of fire? Because God is gonna prove every Christian through the devil. He said seven times to seven churches, to him that overcometh, will he grant all those promises of the kingdom. We've got to overcome. Overcome what? The world, the flesh, and the devil. We must learn to war. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Before we go into the word, I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Okay. Second Timothy 2, and look at what Paul tells his young apprentice, Timothy. He says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, we take a lot of things that are said in this Bible for granted. You know, like for, look at verse one again. He says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know what he means by be strong? That means to not take your grace for granted. That means to take this time to get built up because we are not under the law that you and I may find Christ, that we may get full of Christ, that we may learn to war, that we may you know, have the faith that is necessary and the relationship with Christ to be able to form Christ in us to get a job done. That's why he says, be strong in the grace. You know why? Because a lot of people take grace for granted and there are lots of things that try and take us away from uh, what the Lord calls us to in war. A lot of people sleep during war, but God wants his people sober. Look at verse two. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul is saying for all the things that he had done that we need to commit also to faithful men. We need to follow as Jesus did, as Paul did. We need to live our lives in that way. And then what we have learned, we need to teach to others. Why? For the edification of the body. He says that he gave some apostles and prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints to do the work of the ministry to edify the body of Christ. That, you know, that, what does he say? That we all be built up in the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, that we be no long as children blown around, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the slate of cunning craftiness and men who lie in wait to deceive. We've got to edify one another, build each other up so that we will not fall to the snare of the devil. Now look at verse three. He says, because of that, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who is Jesus, who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So as you understand, he's making clear that we have to endure hardness. So Paul is making his young apprentice Timothy know, Timothy, we're at war. And if you think this is just going to be a piece of cake, you better think again. Endure that hardness as a good soldier of Christ. 
for no man that wars for Jesus entangles himself with the cares or the affairs of this life. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. These are the ways that the devil attacked us. How did he attack Adam and Eve? Through the same method. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was the lust of the, uh, the flesh and that it was pleasant to the eyes. That was the lust of the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise. There was your pride of life. The devil can only attack you and I with these three. What did he do to Jesus? When Jesus came, he offered him bread, you know, and Jesus rebuked him, you know, and said, man shall not live by bread alone. Then he came at Jesus with what? Tried to push him up in pride. Man, if you really be the son of God, cast yourself down. Prove to me. And Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And what did the devil show him next? All the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. All these will I give to thee if thou will bow down and worship me. You see that? And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, for I shall serve the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. What was that? That was warfare. You see, so this is how the devil attacks, but he's telling us to endure these things. Don't get caught up with the cares of, these, of this life. Obey the spirit. And if you look up that word to be a soldier, it means a champion for the cause of Christ. Do we want to be champions for the cause of Christ or do we want our own will? That's something that we're going to have to figure out within ourselves. But either way, Paul called Timothy a good soldier or be a good soldier of Christ. You got to endure hardness. That means you're going to have some trouble. You're gonna have some impossible situations. And then he says, not to entangle yourself with the cares or the affairs of this life. You know why? Because they quench the spirit of God. They grieve the spirit of God. They, they take you away from the saving purposes of God. And this is our warfare. Jesus says, we gotta be able to cast out demons. We gotta lay hands on the sick. We've got to war with this devil. So we better get it in our minds that we are to war, okay? Now we're gonna move on because I don't wanna waste a lot of time with this, but you guys get the picture concerning war. War is not bad for a Christian. We war spiritually, we don't war physically. Now we're gonna go to the word. As we talk about worship, war, and the word. We go to word, we're gonna talk about the angel Gabriel. Now remember, Lucifer came to do what? For worship, that's why he was made. He failed that. He's been replaced by us, okay, by the church of God that is supposed to worship also. Then you have Michael. He came for war. Now we're going to talk about Gabriel. He came for the word. But before we get into Gabriel, let's do a psalm to talk about the importance of the word of the Lord. So let's go to Psalm 33 and let's look at verse 1. All right, Psalm 33. Yeah, I ain't even take a drink of water. Psalm 33, let's look at verse one. He says, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with heart. Sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of 10 strings. I really do believe these 10 strings has a lot to do with the Ten Commandments 
that were brought down to two. Now, Lucifer was an instrument of praise, but how we can praise the Lord is to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, to yield your vessel to the Lord so that Jesus Christ can live in it. But 10 is always like a number for law, okay? But anyway, look at verse three. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. So what we must understand is, that's why it tells us in um, Hebrews 11, when it speaks about that any man that comes to God must believe first that he is God and that he is a revealer of truth or that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've got to believe that God is right and let every man or everything contrary to the word is a lie. Because a lot of Christians have been taking off the path concerning this and have erred in their walks. Because let's just say we bring up a subject that homosexuality is a sin and then God calls it an abomination. How many Christians are linked to homosexuality because they got family members that are, and you know what they do? They go after another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit because they want to not offend. You've got to believe that what he says here, the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. You've got to believe God. You've got to go to war for those family members that are homosexual. You've got to pray, you've got to fast. You've got to cast that demon out and preach the gospel to them if you really love them to be set free, but never turn on God. You've got to believe that the word of God is right, okay? Look at verse five. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So we know that the word of the Lord, everything was made because of it. This is that rhema. This is what God speaks into existence. Our God is so perfect that all of creation obeys him. Every element, every harmony, every frequency, you name it. Jesus said that if he himself weren't worshiped, that the very stones would cry out. You know, there's a woman that actually, um, she has a um, website called Extreme Reality Check. And she speaks about that everything is really alive. We think that a lot of things are dead, like only people are alive, animals and insects. And you know, water moves. But this woman was talking about under a certain frequency, everything is alive, including stones. When Jesus said the very stones will cry out, Jesus wasn't lying, he was telling the truth. That was no metaphor, but they're in a different level of frequency or density. So when people call a person dense, it's because you're not sensitive, you're not bright, you're not quickened. But this woman spoke of density, how these things are alive. They're just not up in the frequency of God. Like when you call God the most high, that's because he truly is. That's because he is the highest of the highest. So when God's words are proclaimed through him or through a Bible believing full of the spirit Christian, things happen. And I'm here to tell you, I've rebuked some demons in Jesus' name. I've laid hands on the sick in the name of Jesus and, and the Lord healed them. Not because of me, because of the spirit, because of the faith in God, because of believing that his word says 
We should be able to do this. So this is the focus, not in glorying of men, but in the power of God. Look at verse seven. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. You got a lot of people trying to tell you today about a gap theory where they're speaking of that um, the six day creation was 6,000 years because they misunderstand Second uh, Peter chapter three, where the Bible says, make no mistake that a thousand years to the Lord in one day or like the same, or one year to, or, you know, a thousand years to the Lord is one day is one day is a thousand years. That just simply means that God sits out of time, okay? They believe that it took a thousand years for it, but it makes clear he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood fast. So all of creation has to obey the word of God, whether it's written or it's spoken, makes no difference. It's the word of God. Okay, so look at um, verse 10. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, and the thoughts of his heart in all generations. You know, it's amazing when a Christian really knows his Bible and he's full of the spirit. And, you know, you get the heathen or the unbeliever or those who have the worldly, you know, educational indoctrinated mind. They like to come and try and fire on a Christian with some logic. And a Christian that knows his word that stands in the wisdom of God. It's funny how you find these scientists and these professors, they just come to naught. They know absolutely nothing. They're now asking questions about what they believe because you stand on the word of God. That's what God does. So anyway, he says in verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The word looketh from heaven and beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioned their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by a multitude of an host of mighty men is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. So as you can see, a lot of people who use a horse or a car or a job, this is what he's talking about, or their finances as a type of safety. You can't trust in that. Those things change, but what you need is the living God and you need his word, okay? So those things are a vain thing for safety and strength. Your strength is in God's word and walking it and living it. Verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waited for the Lord he is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because he have uh, trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. So our hope is in God and you see the importance of the word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, 
Okay, so let's get on Gabriel real quick. We're only gonna do two things concerning him, how he always brought the word. Remember, he was the one that told Mary that she would conceive and have a son. He's the one that told Zacharias that, um, you know, that he would have a son and he'd be John the Baptist full of the spirit and he would proclaim the Lord. So whenever there was important things to talk about, important messages to be sent, the Lord sent Gabriel with the word, okay? And this is not the worship of angels. This is just saying how God uses worship, he uses war, and he uses his word to accomplish his mission. All of these things can only be done by the spirit of God, which is the Holy Ghost. So let's go to Daniel 8. Let's look at verse 15. We're only going to talk about something quick that Gabriel did, the importance of Gabriel carrying God's spoken word. Okay. Gabriel 8, look at verse 15. And it says that, and it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for a meaning then, behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Eulah, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So what does the word of God do? It helps us to understand. I had a vision myself a few days ago that the word of the Lord was able to speak to me that I may have understanding. Look at verse 17. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. And he said, behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed, the end shall be. So what did he come to do? To make him know what would happen in his time and what was expected to come. That's what the very written word of God does for us. It tells us about when Christ comes, what it's gonna be like, what we can expect, what we can expect from him if we remain faithful. And if we live out his word, the, the promises that he makes, that he will allow to perform in our lives, okay? So we understand here the importance of God's word. When we start straying away from the word and we don't understand it, Look at the delusions we get caught in. Look at verse 20. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the king of Media and Persia, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being spoken, whereas four stood up, for it four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his own power but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full. So he's talking about at the end of this kingdom. Uh, hey, hey sister, you know? So anyway, uh, uh, this is, um, he talked about the transgressors when they are come to the full. So the transgressors that are come to the full are Gentiles, okay? At the end of the Gentile kingdom or towards the end, you're going to find a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. So what are we talking about here? The Antichrist. 
He's going to come, because this is saying in the latter times, he's going to come and understand all the tricks, all the things, all the deceptions, all the mysteries of life. And this is where people are going to flock to him. And his power shall be mighty, but not in his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. So we know that there were many spirits of Antichrist that came. There was, you know, the Greeks, uh, which were Antiochus Epiphanes, Alexander the Great. But then, you know, they're going to fall in that same line of kings as Julius Caesar, Adolf Hitler, you name them. They're out there. Even most of the leaders in the world today are of the spirit of Antichrist. But he's saying this guy will come, not in his own power, and he's going to destroy wonderfully. Why will he destroy wonderfully? Because he's going to destroy in a way that you're not going to even know that it is war. That's why the Bible says through peace or through flattery, he was going to gain the kingdom. Through peace, he will destroy many because a lot of people are not even gonna realize that even this false love gospel that is in the world today, telling everybody just love, don't, don't say anything that'll scare me or that I may have to face in the future, just preach love. Hey, let me tell you something about God's love, which is agape. God's love is never void of truth and it is never self-serving, okay? So we must understand that this false gospel being preached is giving people a false image of Jesus because they think to love is to not tell people about sin. They think to love is to not tell the truth. They think to love is to speak very softly man, if you got people going to hell, I'm going to shout. Like the Bible says, you know, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and their sins. You want people to be saved if you love them. But if you're concerned for self, you're going to try and find the easiest, gentle, most gentle way to preach the gospel. And you know what? The Bible says to cry aloud. Yes, we do it in love, but if you know that there's a serious situation going on, you're going to shout from the rooftops that people get saved. So he says he's going to destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy, like his political agenda, also he shall cause craft or deception or treachery to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So we understand he's going to make his stand against Jesus. And Jesus is just going to speak the word. See what the word of God does? He's going to speak and he's going to destroy the Antichrist. That is promised in the word of God. You see, so that's why we, we need the word. We need his rhema and his logos that we may know God. So this is something that Daniel proclaimed, uh, you know, that uh, Gabriel gave Daniel understanding of the end times. Who doesn't need that today? Look at how dark this world is and how full of deception we are. We need these things. We need the word of God to shine light in a dark place. So in your spare time, read Daniel 9, 21 through 27. We did a teaching on soundandtrumpetministries.com called Daniel's 70 Weeks about maybe two years ago. 
where we break down what that means. But as you're going to see, that's an important part of what God's word says. That's so important. Let's go to um, Mark 16. Mark chapter 16. What did my sister say? The Lord spoke like a trumpet. That's right, to the church and the people putting on a gay pride festival in my city. The word of God was powerful coming from me. Amen, sister. And I hope they heard you clearly. And I hope a few souls were turned to Jesus Christ. Praise ye the Lord. We need more people to speak up for Christ and stand for him. So look at Mark 16. Let's look at verse 15. And after this, guys, I'm going to read something that you guys will want to hear concerning spiritual warfare. We're talking about three of the weapons tonight. But what I'm going to do is read a brief article on the nine and how important it is that we have these nine, um, these nine weapons of war. All right. So let's look at uh, Mark 16, look at verse 15. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So the Lord is telling you there, hey, we're supposed to go out and proclaim the gospel just like our sister did, you know? And hey, if they believe it, they'll be saved. If not, they'll be damned. So the Lord, this is called the Great Commission. This is what the Lord is asking of his people to do, okay? So there is no misunderstanding what he had advised his disciples and those who call themselves followers of Jesus to do. He says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. They shall, if, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, Jesus said that a believer is supposed to walk in these. Now, if, I, if you guys are hearing this, I can't control how you feel, but I'm here to tell you, don't be offended. Seek after these things. Walk with the Lord. He says, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. But Jesus did us a great service by telling us a believer will be able to cast out devils. Those signs will follow. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. That doesn't mean to become a snake handler. That means that if you did or to cast out serpents, that you would have authority over them. And then it says, if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Instead of being offended, let's go after these gifts. The Bible tells us, desire spiritual gifts. Get full of Jesus Christ. And if Christ be in you, you will perform what he said concerning the Great Commission. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. So as you can see, they believed the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. But first, they had to believe the word of God. They had to. If they would have said, I wonder, and I don't know if these signs will follow, then the other things wouldn't have come. You've got to first believe the commission, the rhema, and the spoken words of God to be able 
to believe and go forward. It's whether or not you believe it, that's what matters. All right, let's go to Hebrews 4. Let's talk about this word of God. And then I'm going to read this article to you guys that I think you're going to enjoy. And then we'll close out from there. So let's go to Hebrews 4. And let's look at verse 12 as we conclude on the word of God. He says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So let's get an understanding of this. That word for word, this is G3056. That word is logos. That means those words were once spoken, but now they're written. This word cuts through. Why you and I accepted Jesus Christ and want to follow him is because these words did surgery on us. When we had all this sin in our lives, we had all these things that we were hung up with. The word of God was able, it was powerful and quick. I mean, how many times have you read this Bible and you heard the Lord say something that was a sin that you were committing? And I mean, it hit you to your heart where you were, oh man, I know that was me like a body blow, right? That word is powerful and quick, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword because it does what? Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's important that we understand what the word of God is doing with us and transforming us because the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. The spirit is the place that you and I commune with God. That's where we meet. Our God is one God in three persons. He is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We are one person in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. The body is the place that we live. The soul is our mind, will, and our emotions. And the spirit is the place where we commune and get with God, okay? So we must understand that the word of God cuts them under, dividing asunder, soul and spirit. What does he do? He puts them in their proper place. When a person is soulish and worldly, the Bible makes clear that you can't commune with God. You know why? Because instead of trusting God with your with uh, the word and, and believing in him in spirit, you're going to try and you know get God to conform to your soul. You see, and, and that's why the Bible tells us that you know, when certain things are sins and we fight against those things, what ends up happening to us is we start to go with our feelings. We can't be led by our emotions. Pastor Gary Price uh, taught a teaching years ago, but it was called sanctified feelings. We need our feelings sanctified to walk with God. You know why? Because God will tell us to do one thing, but we won't do it because of how we feel. We need those feelings sanctified so that God's, um, our spirit can flow with God. So you see what hangs the, the spirit up and keeps the spirit from following God is the soul. You know, do you have the mind of Christ to walk with Christ? Do you have the will to serve and love Christ and do what he wants? And do you have the emotions that go in line with those things? So you see, you've got the spirit of God has to cut around all those feelings and set the spirit free. 
that the spirit may be in control and then the mind, the will and the emotions will follow the spirit and the body will naturally follow the soul. But you see, when we were falling, you had your flesh that was the strong man, the soul was neutral, but obeying the flesh and you had the spirit that was dead. When we got into Christ, he gave us his word, he gave us understanding, okay? He cut around that soul, I mean, that spirit out of that soul. Then the soul, I mean, the spirit became alive to God. The mind, the will, and the emotions obeyed the spirit. And then you've got the body that naturally comes along. This is what the word of God does. And that's why the Bible tells us to buy the truth and sell it not, because that's what we need to get by. But look at what he says, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So you know on judgment day, we're not gonna be judged just for what we did. We're gonna be judged for why we did these things. That's why we talked about in the beginning of this teaching about the worship with God in a pure heart. Every act we commit, every thought we had, everything that we do, was it in the flesh or was it in the spirit? Was it done with pure motives or were you trying to gain popularity? God's gonna deal with all of these things, but the word of God tells us where our intent is. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Because you got a lot of people online now doing miracles on TV, I mean, on, on you know, on, uh, you know, performing miracles and saying God gave it to him. But the spirit of discernment will tell you, what did he say before that miracle was performed? Was he talking about God loves everybody and he's accepting of sin and homosexuals? And then he lay hands to heal? You see, because the devil has power to heal too. But one thing the signs of God will do is confirm the word. You want to know if someone's a real prophet? They will preach the real gospel and the word of God will confirm what is said. That's what we need. That's what the word of God brings us. And we're not supposed to sell that for anything. That's the only offensive true weapon that we have that, I mean, pierces the devil and breaks down strongholds. But now I'm going to introduce you guys to nine more that may help us in our spiritual walk that we may have understanding. This is an article I read, man, maybe three years ago, and it's called Christian Weapons of Warfare. Eight, oh, there are eight, sorry. Eight powerful weapons all Christians must use. Okay, so it says, once you become a Christian, you automatically have powerful enemies that you need to combat. Every Christian can call down the power of God to defend them and to oppress the enemies. Yes, I said it. The time has come when we Christians must stand our ground and start reviving ourselves. We must become empowered. This cuts across all that call upon the name of Jesus to save them. Here's the first weapon, guys. Get your pen and paper down. The first one we covered tonight, which is praise or worship. Okay, and it says praise silences the enemy. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies. You uh, may silence the enemy and the avenger. That's Psalm 8 and 2. And Jesus said unto them, ye have, never, have ye never read that out of the mouth of babes and nursing or suckling uh, infants, 
you have perfected praise. That's Matthew 21 and 16. The strength which God has ordained uh, for us is perfect praise. Perfect praise silences the enemy and the avenger. Many of our problems would be solved if we could only get Satan and his demons to shut up. They operate by injecting suggestions into our minds, which uh, seem plausible, but are rooted in unbelief and rebellion towards God. The suggestion comes as if they were uh, our own thoughts when they are not at all. We lose battles when we believe and trust these demonic suggestions. So that's our first weapon, praise. Here's the second. A second weapon, the word of God. We just went over that. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, see Luke 4, 1 through 13, he overcame the devil using the one weapon of the word of God. Rather than arguing directly with Satan's suggestions, as many Christians try to do, Jesus simply quoted the word of God as it applied to the suggestions. When Satan tried to suggest a course of action, for Jesus to prove his divinity and simultaneously satisfy his hunger, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. This silenced the enemy and ended the discussion on the point. Jesus used the word of God once, uh, once for each of the, of the three uh, main temptations which every son of man must face. These are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Once we have overcome these fully, we have overcome Satan. The apostle John wrote, I have written to you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abides in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. Here's the third weapon, guys. The blood of Jesus. One of Satan's chief tactics is accusation. He is called the accuser of the brethren. When we sin, we give Satan opportunity to accuse us, both directly and through others. The reality is we have all sinned. I'm still looking for a Christian on the earth who never sins. I'd love to learn from someone who is longer, who no longer falls short of the glory of God. Sin is costing us too much. When, uh, when to our sin, Satan answers accusations, we can become condemned and discouraged if we are ignorant of the power of the blood of Jesus as it may be applied to this issue. Praise God, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanse us from all sin if we confess our sins. Now, I understand what this person is saying, but I want you guys to know too that the Bible does say that we can be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. The Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy, you know, but for without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So yes, we do have a sin nature that the spirit of God is sanctifying us, which takes a long time and it, and it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But when you look at guys like Paul and others that were believers, they didn't have sin in their lives. Why? Because Christ was formed in them and they were walking in the spirit. So Jesus would have never told us that we could be made perfect if it were not true. That's the word of God. We will have issues in our lives that he'll work out, but in the end of it all, 
Jesus got, wants Christ formed in us. That's what we're supposed to have in the future. I'm not pushing hard bondage. The Bible says unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to find you faultless and blameless before a holy God, the only wise uh, creator with majesty and glory, both now and forever, with power and dominion. You guys know what I'm trying to say. That's in Jude 1. But Paul says, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we need the blood of Jesus to wash us clean. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse you and I from all unrighteousness. Here's the fourth weapon. This is a prayer. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. We are commanded to pray without ceasing, so we should at least aim for it. God has made so many promises regarding prayer, and we need to fill our hearts and minds with these promises. Since much of this has been covered elsewhere, elsewhere it says, for now I will just uh, refer you to my existing teaching on prayer on this site. Of course, volumes uh, could be written on prayer and have been in various places. Learn to pray with power. When we prevail in prayer, Satan is defeated, miracles happen, and people turn from the power of Satan to the power of God. Their eyes having been opened, prayer is quite simply the key to revival. You must pray. And then it says, um, to not pray is to surrender to Satan. This is true. As I said, at times you may not feel like praying, but you've got to be able to pray through and that spirit will flee. This is how you gain endurance in prayer. You've got to continue to pray. Don't just pray for five minutes every night because if Satan has his way and the spirit is calling for more, that five minutes will turn to two. And then before you know it, you're not praying at all. You need to learn to pray longer. And I realized through my life, the more you pray, the more you enjoy the presence of God and the more there is an opening to pray through. Okay, look at, uh, this is the fifth weapon, the power of your testimony. One reason I publish testimonies on my site is that they are effective weapons against Satan. Tell the people what Christ has done for you. This will promote faith. Tell yourself you need to encourage yourself in the Lord. Forget not all his benefits. Tell God praise, I mean, tell God praise and thank him for it. Paul used his testimony in confronting King Agrippa and the Roman governor Festus when called to, uh, to account for his activities and the reasons for um, which he was accused by the Jews See Acts 26 and also 22. They overcame him, the devil, by the word of the Lord, by the, um, by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the dead. So our testimonies are big. When people see us, they wanna know how you became that way. How did God work with you? Don't be ashamed to tell people you were a drug addict, you were a fornicator. You did, you are a liar, you are a thief, you are an abortionist, you are a homosexual, you are a, a pedophile. Don't be ashamed to tell people that because you know what? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, 
old things become new. We are epistles read of men. We should not be ashamed to tell people of our testimony because you know what? A lot of people can't relate to God outright, but what they can relate to was seeing someone they knew was a sinner that gave his life over to Christ. And when they see the change, they may desire to have the same. This is six, weapon six, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit expressed through the gifts of the Spirit. We are commanded to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 5 and 18. Just keeping this one command of the Lord is a major part of our spiritual warfare. And we will need all of the other weapons in order to stay in this place. A person who is filled with the Spirit and has learned to be led by the Spirit can also receive and use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are outlined in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Most of them are expressed through our mouths. They that operate, I mean, they all operate through divine initiative. That means, you know, through the Spirit. These specialized weapons of the gifts of the Holy Spirit all work along with the other weapons. They all operate through faith. God does not want us to be ignorant of the mighty gifts of the Holy Spirit. Satan has used theologians in times past to cast doubt on the availability of these gifts. But praise God, we are learning to pick them up again and use them. Books have been written on the subject of the gifts. I will mention what they are briefly. Now, the gifts of the Spirit, Derek Prince has an amazing book about the nine gifts of the Spirit. And then there is A.A. A. Allen, who has a book I strongly recommend that people give, they get, and it's called The Price of God's Miracle Working Power by A.A. A. Allen. Okay, that's not a hard name to remember. This is seven, the name of Jesus. This is not a magic formula, only something to be tacked uh, onto the end of prayer uh, for effect. Of course, we should pronounce the name of Jesus when we minister in God's name. The name of Jesus is the authority we have as we submit to Jesus Christ. We need to do what we are doing for the cause of Christ. There is no neutrality. Um, you know, and Jesus said this. Jesus said that um, he that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me, they scattereth. So, you know, we need to be in line with what the cause of Jesus Christ is. All must be done for Jesus, in Jesus, with Jesus. Okay, that means don't go ahead of him. Uh, submitting to God, Jesus will, I mean, to uh, submitting to God, uh, Jesus, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. That's James 4 and 7. When we fully submit to Jesus Christ and obey the Holy Spirit, God will back us up. So you see how it begins in obedience? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So this is all in obedience. And he says, uh, God will back us up. We become the physical body of Christ for the situation. Demons will be forced to leave even violently uh, at names as we have faith in the name of Jesus. Jesus is there with us to back us up and to make it happen. Okay, now this is eight. The eighth and final weapon, fasting. 
Fasting in, in normal language means going without food, but usually not to go without water. Um, yeah, but usually not to go without water. We are all we are always called to say no to sin, but not always to food. Fasting not only detoxifies the body, it also humbles the soul, humbles the flesh, and when and when done for God, and when done for. God brings us into a line uh, with God's will. Fasting precipitates uh, a showdown with demonic power. Jesus fasted in the wilderness in those days. Uh, he ate nothing. And Satan came at the end of it to test him. We speak the word in the face of great pressure. Jesus defeated Satan and was qualified to move in the power of the Holy Spirit as a man. In this way, he was our perfect example in all things. So hopefully we got some understanding tonight about the gifts, about worship, about war and the word. So that's tonight's lesson, guys, but hopefully we got some understanding. If anybody didn't hear the beginning, go back to it. But I also wanna tell people, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is still time. Each day is not promised to us. Repent of your sins. That means to turn and walk away from it. And you believe on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, believe on his death, burial, and resurrection, that he died for your sins, and that you need to ask for forgiveness, you need to be baptized, and you need to uh, believe that he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle get into God's word, get baptized. He will eventually baptize you in the spirit. And we can live out the born again process with Jesus Christ. When God knows you're serious, he will baptize you in the spirit. But if we linger and we're lukewarm and we're playing around and we're backsliding, we're not gonna see the benefits of what God wants for us. In my life, even early as a Christian, I've had anointings given and I've had them lifted because I did not know how to part company with things that I should. So we need to obey the spirit of God and go after him and desire him. So let's pray out and then from there, we're gonna close. Heavenly Father, in Jesus name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls. And we pray Lord that your word pierced deep. We pray Lord that this message glorified you that no man be glorified in this, but that all eyes will turn to you. We pray in Jesus' name that the minds, that the hearts, that the eyes, that the ears and the mouths, Lord, were quickened in this teaching, that they may come to you and get full of you. For Jesus Christ in us is the hope of glory. I pray, Lord, for those who are sick out there, those who are sick, my sister Tara, who has a sister, Lord, that is dealing with cancer. I pray in Jesus' name, that you bind the devil. You said that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that means even the spirit of cancer, even the demons of HIV, even the demons of diabetes, even the demons of all sickness, all sin and all disease must bow the knee to Jesus Christ. I ask Lord that you look out for these brothers and sisters, my brother, Michael Adams with his health, Lord, there's other brothers and sisters. There's Pastor Price on Omega Ministries, Lord. 
I pray that you pour out an abundance of rain, a full harvest of spiritual blessings, Lord, of the resources necessary that they may build Dunamis Tabernacle, which is a base camp for the saints. I pray, Lord, for so many brothers and sisters out there, Michael Adams' mom, so many, Lord. We know that you got the power to break down strongholds. And I pray that you give the power to those who want to see their sickly and their lost and all those delivered, whether they be man, woman, or child. In Jesus' name, I pray for your authority to break the devil, to break his back, to trodden him underfoot, that your people may go free. For you are the King of Kings, there is no doubt. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask, Lord, even for my brother Rock T in Australia, my brother Greg in Italy, my brothers and sisters in Kenya that subscribe to this site, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, watch over those brothers and sisters. But let all these things be done, Lord, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty, holy, and precious name we pray, amen. And, and for Sister Melissa and uh, you know her son Devin, with the battle he's going through, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, bind the devil, set that young man free from his captivity, that he may be right with you. So I just want to say to you all, I love you. Uh, come to next uh, tomorrow night at seven thirty. We've got a teaching called uh, the Fifth Column. So you guys should find that interesting. It's called the Fifth Column. It's 7.30 Pacific time, 10.30 Eastern time. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. If you like the teachings, subscribe to the channel or don't. You know, we've got the free will to do that. And I just want to say once again, uh, what does Sister Tara say? Yes, Jesus, we praise you. And Sister uh, Gadagape, she said, yes, in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to say to my two sisters and all those, Sarah that's in North Carolina right now, and all those who are tuning in, I love you all. And until next time, have a good night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.